All right. So if you missed last week, we launched this uh, initiative last week called the 5-2 Initiative. If you didn't hear the message that led up to that, we talked about the feeding of the 5,000 and the little boy that brings his, his lunch. So you can go back and catch that online and get caught up. But the idea is we believe everybody has five and two. Everybody's got a little something to offer. And when we put that five and two in the hands of Jesus, he can multiply it. He can do things far beyond what you could imagine. So here's what we're asking. If you volunteer in any way here at Sister Oak Christian Church, we want you to go through 5-2 training. If you don't volunteer here but you would like to, we want you to go through 5-2 training at least the first round of it. And that first round is coming up. We'll announce the dates this coming week. And so be ready for that. But you can actually sign up today. We want to gauge your interest and see what uh, times are going to work best for you. So um, if you would, please, if you volunteer in any way, please, we would love for you to go ahead and sign up. You can do this on your mobile phone right now. Mobile phones are loud in church. It's in the Bible. Uh, just text uh, to the number that you see on the screen, the words 5-2, and it'll ask you a couple questions. Just respond to those, and you will be on the list of people who are going to get the information uh, about the times and, and stuff first. So please go ahead and do that, and I look forward to, to diving into that training with you. It's going to be awesome. We're going to start a new series today <clears throat> called Fixer Upper. Fixer Upper is a phrase that I didn't know until I started watching uh, shows with my wife on HGTV uh, about these, these houses that people would buy because they, they have potential. That was all, it was all about the potential because you look at them and you think, that, that, I'm not, I don't want to live there. That's a bad looking house. I mean, it's got a lot of problems. But a, a good Fixer Upper is one that, that's got, it's got some potential. It's got some things going for it. It has good bones. I don't know why they say that about houses but they say they have good bones. I don't really know what that means, but I think it's a positive. Uh, I, or maybe it's just in a great location, and it's in the right neighborhood, or it's in the right, right part of town. But it has something that makes you want to or be willing to invest your own time and money into getting it into good shape, good enough to maybe live in or maybe to sell for a profit. And so the, the question is, how, how do you know how much to invest? How do you know... If, if there's a fixer-upper on the market, what's a good price to pay for it? What, what would you be willing to pay, and, and what's, what's going to make the most sense? I've got a friend, uh, Jason, who's done this a few times, bought some, some fixer-uppers and, and then sold them, and he's got a spreadsheet, and it's, it's pretty amazing. It's very detailed, and, and uh, he's got a bottom-line number, and when he adds up the, the cost of the house and the cost of the repairs and the, the potential value at the end, if it doesn't equal a certain percentage of, of profit or increase, he's not... The spreadsheet makes the decision for him. He just plugs the numbers in. The spreadsheet says yes or no. And that's, that's one way to do it. But here's, here's the thing. I think that you're a fixer-upper. You, you are. I, I am a fixer-upper. I, I, we've got potential. We, we've got good bones. We were made in the image of God. We, we're in the right location. You're, you're right where God wants you to be in this moment at this time. And so there's, there's potential for something great in you. But if you're like me, I, I look at my heart and I go, man, I don't, I don't know. I, I need some work. You ever look in the mirror and go, I just, I think I need some work. <laughs> Not to your face, to your heart. I, I, I think my heart was created for something more than what I'm experiencing. And, and the things that I think that we're created for, the way we say it here is peace, joy, and purpose. I believe that I was made to be able to lay my head down every night and, and go to sleep easily because I don't have worries and fears that are keeping me up. 
I believe that I was created to wake up every morning with joy in my heart because I know God is in control of my day and I can trust Him. I believe I was created to live with a purpose to know that my life matters. It means something that I'm here and I've got a good work to do. And we have our moments. We've got moments where we're, we're doing well with peace and we're sleeping good through the night. We have moments where we're, we're waking up in the morning with a positive attitude and we have those moments where we really feel like our, our, our lives mean something and they, they matter to something bigger than us. But to say that we have all three of those all the time, I know I don't. And my guess is you probably don't either. And, and that's a condition of my heart, that my heart has, has got potential, but it needs some work done so I can get to a place where I have more consistent peace and joy and purpose. I believe that's what we're created for. And I believe God looks at us and, and he sees a fixer-upper that's worth investing in. The question is, how much are you willing to invest? How much are you willing to pay your own time and energy and money into getting your heart into that condition where you're experiencing consistent peace and joy and purpose? What is it worth to you? Jesus is going to ask that question in a pretty challenging way. We're going to read from Luke chapter 14 today. If you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to turn there. There should be one in the seat in front of you or follow along on the screen or on your mobile app. Before we dive into the text, I, I just want to offer this disclaimer. This is the, one of the most challenging passages in all of Jesus' teaching. And we say challenging to avoid saying things like, we just don't like it. So, it's, so we just say challenging. It's tough. It's, it's difficult. And, and ultimately, if we were to be really honest, we just don't like it. We kind of wish Jesus hadn't said this. But here's what I want you to remember before we dive into reading this, is that the people Jesus is speaking to when he says these words, he loves them. He looks at them and he loves them. He, he loves them so much that he is willing to go to a cross and die for him, them. He, he loves them so much. He wants absolutely what's best for them. He looks at these people and what he really wants for them is lives filled with peace and joy and purpose. That's why he says what he's about to say. So just keep that in mind as we read this, that Jesus, Jesus loves the people he's speaking to you. So, so if, he's, if he's speaking to you today, he's saying these words because he loves you. Verse 25, Luke 14. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Let's just press pause for a minute there because some of us don't want to go any farther. What? He, you, you have to hate your father and mother, your wife and your children? I think most of us could check some names off that list, but when it comes to our children, we're like, no way. It's not going to happen. Are, are you really saying, wait, wait a minute, I thought Jesus taught love. Did, doesn't Jesus teach love? Doesn't he say something like, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God, and the second is to love your neighbor as yourself? I, I thought Jesus said stuff like, hey, if, if you really want people to know you're my disciples, it's going to be by the way that you love each other. A new command I give you. Love one another. Where does this hate talk come from? Why, why would Jesus put it this way? Well, Jesus lives in a culture where they don't really talk about love and hate or uh, things like that in terms of degrees. There's not degrees of love, as in, you know, I, I love Oreos, but I love 
Haagen-Dazs better, and I love baseball, but I especially love Braves baseball, but then I love my children, and I love my wife, and I love Jesus. So we have degrees of love. In their culture, they didn't talk about love that way. You either loved something or you hated it. It was, it was pretty clear. It was one or the other. So what Jesus is saying here is not that you have to actively hate. When we think of hate, we think of, I don't like you. I don't care about you. I don't want what's best for you. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, when it comes to your priorities, when it comes to who you're devoted to, I want you to love me so much that your devotion to everyone else in your life looks like hate in comparison. If you were to compare your love for me to your devotion to everyone else, it would look like hate because you love me so much. That that every decision that we make flows from this place where Jesus is at the center and nothing else is at the center because there can only be one person at the center. And Jesus says, that has to be me. If, if you want to follow me, he turns to this crowd who is, who is chasing him down because he's performing miracles that just blow their minds and they want a little piece of that. He turns to this crowd, he looks at them and he loves them and he says, if you can't hate your family, you're not gonna be able to follow me. Best recruiting speech ever, right? I mean, if you really wanna draw a crowd, that's gotta be the best way, Right? It doesn't make any sense. Why would Jesus say this? Well, I would like to say that it gets better before it gets worse, but that would not be true. Let's read the next verse. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. This language of bearing a cross has come to mean something very different to us today than it did when Jesus said these words to these people. Many of you are bearing a cross right now. You may have a necklace that has a cross on it. You may have a cross tattoo on your wrist or you may have it a cross in your pocket. And we, we think of that as bearing a cross, but that's not the way the people at the time would have thought of that. For them, to wear a cross around your neck would be really morbid and kind of gross because the cross was a Roman institution of execution. It meant death. And, and they, didn't, they didn't honor the cross. They didn't glorify the cross. They were terrified of the cross because it meant death and humiliation and suffering and pain. And Jesus looks at this crowd of people that are terrified of the cross, and he says, If you don't bear your own cross, you're not going to be able to follow me. It's not going to work out. You're not going to make it. Great recruiting speech, Jesus. Good job. I mean, you're you're going to be lucky if you've got one follower after this. They're all going to leave. Why? Why does he present it this way? Why does he speak in such harsh language? Here's, Here's the thing. Jesus doesn't want people to be deceived about what it's going to cost to have the life that they're after. He doesn't want anyone to be deceived about what it's going to cost to have the life that they're after. Because listen, there are people who will deceive you to get you to think that what you, what you can have, what you, the life that you want, it can be had easily. In fact, this is what commercials do, right? Commercials are there to tell you a story that makes you think that this product is the way. This is the way to get the life that you really want. If you just drove this car instead of that car you would have the life that you really want. If you use this razor instead of that razor, you would have the life that you want. 
That's, that's what commercials are designed to do. And they are fully willing to deceive you. This is new and improved because we changed the packaging, right? They're, they're willing to tell you whatever it takes to get you to believe that there is an easier way to get the life that you want. And Jesus looks at this crowd of people and he sees people that are possibly looking for an easy way. They're possibly looking for an easy path to fame and fortune because they see Jesus as a rising star. And if we can hitch our wagon to this star, we're on our way. We're going to have more, more of whatever it is, more fame, more money, more authority, more influence, more power. We're going to have more if we can attach ourselves to Jesus. And he looks at them and he wants them to know because he loves them that there is no easy way to get the life that you're after. There's no easy way to fix your heart to where you're consistently experiencing peace and joy and purpose. And he knew that if he told them anything different, it would be a lie. And you don't lie to the people that you love. So he looks at them, and because he loves them, he tells them the truth. If I'm not at the center, if I'm not so at the center that it looks like hate in comparison to everything else, if I'm not so at the center, if you can't be willing to pick up your own instrument of execution and torture and carry it around with you, this is not going to work out. Let's finish the passage. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it will begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Count the cost. You need to have a plan. You need to know what you're willing to invest. I I found this uh, building in Scotland. I didn't discover it. Google discovered it. But it's called McCaig's Folly. McCaig was uh, a a Scottish lord in the late 1800s, and he loved uh, art, and he wanted to build this museum, and he also lived during a time when uh, th- there was not enough work for the people uh, in his area to do, and so he, he wanted to build this building to create this museum, but also to give work to the laborers so they would have uh, a paying job, and he began to build this, this museum, but five years into the project, he died, and he, he left the plans for the completion of the museum and enough money to his kids to finish the job. But when they got the will and they said, oh, this, all this money has to go to building the museum, they said, oh, we don't really care about the museum. We actually would rather just have the money. So they, they filed a lawsuit against the estate and they won and they were able to do what they wanted with the money. So the building never got finished. It's just sitting there, a shell of a, of a thing. It looks kind of like the Colosseum or something from Rome. See, he, he had a plan. He had a he had a vision, and he, and, he, and he thought this was going to be a beautiful thing. He didn't know he was going to die five years later. And he didn't know that, that he had failed to pass this vision on to his kids. And so it's McCaig's folly. He began to build, and he wasn't able to finish. And it's kind of a, made his family a laughing stock in the area. You got to count the cost. Jesus continues. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate? whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You have to count the cost. You have to know what you're getting into. You've probably experienced 
situations in your life where you didn't think it through. You didn't count the cost. I bought a car one time without counting the cost. I loved it because of how it looked. Isn't it cute? Doesn't it look fun? You put the top down on that thing in the summer and you drive around. It would have been awesome if it ran. (laughs) It just didn't run. I loved owning this car. I loved looking at it. I loved showing it to people. And it would have been great if I could have taken you for a ride. But some people that I took for a ride ended up helping me push it. Because it just, it just was garbage mechanically, and I didn't count the cost. I, all it would have taken is a little bit of research to know that MG midgets, or really most British-made cars, are just junk. And, and you, you just don't, it's not a good investment. But I didn't know it, I didn't think it through, I didn't count the cost. And I had to get rid of this car. Because it, I couldn't afford to keep it. I couldn't afford to keep it running. M- many a, a, of you maybe got into a marriage without counting the cost. You didn't know that you were going to experience all the things you experienced. And, and, and if you've been married as, as long as I have or, or shorter or longer, you've experienced things that you thought, I didn't know it was going to be like this. I, I, didn't, I didn't know he was going to be like that. I didn't know she was going to be like this. I didn't know that, that remodeling our bathroom was going to cause fights. And Sorry, that's a little too fresh. It was my fault. But uh, <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know when I got married. But it's not... It's not important that I know everything that's going to happen. What's important is that when I stand there on that day and I look her in the eye and I say, forever I do, I'm saying, whatever the cost, I'll pay it. And and many people get into marriage without really thinking that through. Am I willing to pay whatever it costs? And Jesus is asking, he's pleading actually with these people, count the cost, Count the cost. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to be with me? Because Jesus was going to a cross. In Luke 9, 51, a few chapters before this, we see this turning point in the story where it says that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus knew what was going to happen when he got there. He was going to be arrested tried in sort of a kangaroo court and convicted and tortured and beaten and executed publicly. He knew it, and he set his face for Jerusalem. And then a few chapters later, he looks at these people, and he says, if you want to follow me, you need to know where I'm going. You need to understand what I'm leading you into. If you think that I'm here to lead you into a life of ease and comfort. If you think I'm here to increase your personal power or your personal authority or your personal influence, you have missed it because this is not about building you up. This is about building the kingdom of God, and it is going to cost you. So why would anybody say yes to this? That's the thing that blows your mind. After this conversation, why didn't everyone just leave? Why did some people stick around? Because we can think of a lot of reasons why I would not go through with this. I don't want to give up that kind of control. I don't don't really want to pay whatever it costs. I want to pay a little bit and get a lot. Isn't that our mentality? We Americans, we are consumers to a professional level. We want to pay the least we can to get the most, right? And I think many people approach their faith that way. What's the least I can do to get into heaven? 
How can I just get that ticket punched so I don't have to worry about sin anymore? I don't have to be afraid of God. I don't have to be afraid of hell. What's the least I can do to punch that ticket? And Jesus is saying, that's that's actually the wrong, wrong way to think about this. It may cost you everything. It may cost you everything. Are you willing to pay it? Is it worth it to you? I think some of us are afraid that that if we really follow Jesus the way that he says that it sounds like a miserable life. Like I just don't get to do what I want anymore. I don't get to have fun. I don't get to be with the people that I want to be with because they're pulling me away from Jesus. I don't get to say the things that I want to say because it's not loving and Jesus wants me to love. Like I just think I would be miserable if I actually tried to live that out. But have you actually observed the people who are living it out, the people that you know that you think are the closest to Jesus, are they miserable people? If you look at the lives of the disciples, Peter and John and Paul, Paul, who's sitting in prison after being beaten and, and having rocks thrown at his head and says crazy things like, I count it all joy. I count it all joy. Paul may have had the most consistent life of peace and joy and purpose of anyone on the planet, and he followed Jesus every day. His love for Jesus looked like he hated everyone else, and he carried a cross every single day. Was he miserable? I think, I think we make a mistake. I, I, I have never had a desire to go to Disney World. Some of you are Disney people. God bless you. I'm so glad you exist. But I've never, I just, there's never been anything that I wanted to do. I look at it and I go, long lines, big crowds, expensive food, no thanks. But I have never doubted for a minute that the people who actually go to Disney have a good time. I mean, you see the pictures, everyone's having a blast. You hear the stories when they come back and they can't wait to go again. I don't think that if I went, I would actually be miserable the whole time because of the evidence of the people who go and have a great time. And I think that we, when we look at our faith and we say, if I really were to give it all to Jesus, I would be miserable. We're not considering the reality of the people who really do give it all to Jesus and how much peace and joy and purpose they live with. Look, look at the testimony of the people that you know that are closest to Jesus are probably the people with the most peace and joy and purpose. So why does anybody say yes to this? I think Jesus clarifies in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. He says, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? What are you willing to invest to get where you are created to have? I think Jesus is pointing to a tendency in us as human beings to try to hold on tightly to the wrong things. You think that by pursuing your own pleasure, pursuing your own ease, pursuing your own level of power or authority or influence, you think that by that you're going to get life. What you're actually doing is watching your life slip away from you. That, that real life, and especially eternal life, is not had by holding on tightly to our way. It's had by opening our hand and allowing God to put things in it that we never would have thought possible. What will it profit if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? The reality is the life that you have is a gift. It's a gift. 
we, we don't often think of it this way. We think our life is, well, it's, it's mine. I, I get to do with it what I want to do with it. And if I want to give some of it to Jesus, then I, I'll, I'll do as much of that as I feel like doing. I'll go to church as often as I feel like doing. If I start to feel guilty, I'll go back. I'll give until, you know, it, it, it really starts to get uncomfortable. Then I'll kind of back off of that. I'll be nice to people as long as they don't really push the wrong button. And then I can't help it. I'm only human. They're going to get it. But the life you have is actually a gift. And we've been asked to do something with it. I want, you to, I want to ask you to participate in a little thought experiment with me. This is purely fiction, so don't get too excited or nervous. I want you to imagine that our ushers are going to come back in. They're going to pass the plates again, but this time instead of putting something in, they're going to ask you to take something out. That in the plate is, is $100 bills. We want everyone to take a $100 bill with one condition. We're going to ask that you take that $100 and you use it to do something kind for someone else, that you use it to invest in blessing another human being, whether it's just bright, brightening somebody's day or providing a real need, that you're going to take that $100 and you're, you're going to use it for someone else, just not for yourself. My guess is every single one of you would do it. You would be glad to take that money and give it away. In fact, the thought of it really excites you, and now you're hoping that this is real and it's really going to happen and he's going to pass $100 bills because I've got ideas. I've got people I want to bless. I know what I would do. It would be really easy to give away $100 that wasn't yours, wouldn't it? In fact, one of my favorite things to do is spend other people's money. I love it. But we're not getting $100 today. It would cost us a lot of money. But the reality is your life is a gift. Your life is a gift. Just like that $100 that wasn't yours this morning when you walked in, but became yours after we gave it to you, your life is the same way. Your calendar, the time on your calendar is a gift, and we guard this with our lives, and we protect it, and don't ask me to come over and spend more time because I just don't have any more time, and I'll get to you when I get to you, and don't ask me to give more money. We're, we're strapped. We're tapped out. We're building for the future. Don't ask me for any more money but your, your time is a gift. The money that you have is a gift. Your talent is a gift. It was never yours to begin with. And it was given to you with this understanding. God said, I, I want you to take this life that is a gift and I want you to spend it in ways that point other people to Jesus. I want you to love in ways that make people raise their eyebrows. I want you to give in ways that make people scratch their heads. I, I, I want you to forgive in ways that make people uncomfortable because it's just not normal. I, I want you to take this life that I've given you and I want you to invest it in other people. Does that make sense? Is that clear? Good, because the ushers are going to come back around and they're going to pass the plates again. Go ahead, guys. And we're not asking you to put anything in. We want you to take something out and it's not money. Sorry. <laughs> it's not even chocolate. Sorry. It's just some ideas it's, it's some ideas on paper. And we kind of broke these up into categories uh, based on the dollar amounts that are fictional. But the idea is kind of how, how, how well resourced are you? We, we learned from the parable of the talents a few weeks ago that everybody is resourced differently. You don't necessarily get to choose how much money you have. 
or how much time you have. Some, some of those choices are made for you. So however much, you're re if you're resourced at the $10 level, then pick one of those $10 ideas. If you're resourced at the $50 level, pick a $50 idea. Some of, the, some of you in this room are resourced at a $100 level. So pick a $100 idea. What are you willing to invest to have the life that you were created to have? What are you willing to let go of? Listen, this list falls way short of carrying your own cross to your own crucifixion. But it's a step in a direction of learning to hold on loosely to the things of this world so that God can give me peace and joy and purpose so that I can have eternal life with him forever. What are you willing to sacrifice? Some of those ideas make you really uncomfortable. I would challenge you to find the one that makes you the most uncomfortable and do it. Because I think the greatest investment pays the greatest rewards. It's not free. The life that you have is going to cost you. And you've been given a gift. And it's an opportunity to invest it. So we're going to close with just a time of prayer. I'm going to ask you to stand. Would you stand and, and pray with me? I want you to think about a couple things. What, what kind of life do you really want? What kind of heart do you hope to find next time you look in the mirror? Do you hope to find a heart that's filled with peace and joy and purpose? All three, every day, it's going to cost you. What are you willing to pay? What, what kind of future do you really want? Is it one where you're spending eternity with your heavenly Father? There's only one way. It's Jesus. And if we're willing to invest and do things His way, we're, we're going to find that the benefits far outweigh the cost. It does cost you, but the reward is out of this world. I want you to pray through this list that God would would point you, that his spirit would point you to something on this list that you can do. Or maybe there's an idea that's not on the list. Creative license, go for it. But if, if there's something on here that would challenge you to take a step of faith and to let go a little bit of something that you've been holding on to too tightly, I want you to pray that God would put that on your heart and that you would do that. And I want you to pray that he would use it to point someone to Jesus. Jesus told us to let our light shine before men so that they would see our good deeds and do what? Glorify our Father in heaven. So, Pray with me through this list, and let's see what God can do. God, thank you so much for the challenge this morning. I pray that as my brothers and sisters here come to you and lift up to you their questions and doubts and fears and concerns, God, that, that you would give us a sense of conviction and peace that, that Jesus wants what's best for us, that you you know how to give us the life that, that we really were created to have and that your way is the only way. And may we just trust you in that. God, I pray that you would put it on our hearts to take little steps of faith, these little actions that are on the, the sheet that we handed out or, or if there's something else your spirit wants to put on our hearts right now, God, would you open us up to that? Give us the courage to follow through and help us to look for your reward. And I pray ultimately, God, that many people will come 
to a knowledge and a relationship of Jesus Christ through the actions that we commit to today. We know that's your heartbeat. We want to follow you into that. In Jesus' name, amen.